from the book of Malachi. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Today marks the beginning of the second week of Advent, and if you're anything like me, every time you see one of those candles lit, your blood pressure spikes just a second. Uh, Thinking of all the things that you have yet to get done before Christmas is coming. And so it comes as no surprise to you, and I remind you that Advent means coming, and that the Advent season is a time of preparation. And you might be thinking, yeah, Father Josh, no kidding, right? I've got my Christmas list, my personal Christmas list I've not finished, my Christmas shopping list for everybody else, my December budget where I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to buy presents for everybody, I've got my house decorations that I'm still working on, my Christmas tree I have to get up, I'm trying to coordinate my schedule with my family, right, and, and also steal myself when I inter- actually interact with my family. And in the meantime, all of my kids and all of my family members have holiday events and festivals for me to attend. That's, that's a lot. Would you all agree with me in that? I mean, that's a lot. But that's not the type of preparation that we're talking about today. That's not the biblical sense of preparation. And so, again, if your mind just went to all your craziness, that's my fault, I'm sorry. Package it up, put it away, and think about what God is calling us to in this season of preparation. Let's look back at verse 1 of Malachi together and start to get a sense of what God is calling us to in this season. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, who is this messenger and what is his message? You see, the New Testament and the church have always identified this messenger as John the Baptist. And if you don't know who that is, you've met somebody like him, I can guarantee you. John the Baptist was that wild man in the desert. He was wearing camel hair and uh, eating locusts and honey. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Last week, you remember Father Father Rodriguez telling us a story of somebody he passed on the road before um, he really found his faith in Christ. And this person was one of those, you know, these disheveled people holding up a sign, and guess what the sign says? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. These are the same people and the same message that you and I will cross the street to avoid, right, on our way to get where we need to go. But what's interesting about that is this is the exact same message that John the Baptist was preaching. Maybe not the same tone, right? Maybe not the same delivery, but it's the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Prepare your hearts. And so we've got two points uh, for this morning. And no, just because I'm giving you a two-point sermon does not mean it's going to be shorter. Um, It just means I couldn't come up with a third point. So I've got two points for you this morning. One, we're going to discuss this call to preparation. And two, we're going to discuss the work of preparation. What is the preparation that we are called to do during this Advent season? So before we go any further, I've got a quick question for you, and I like to ask a diagnostic question sometimes just so you can reflect. Here's my question. How much time on any given day 
do you spend thinking about or looking for Christ's return? How much time on any given day do you spend thinking about or looking for Christ's return? When you see a storm cloud coming is your first thought, Christ is appearing, right? And you're probably like, well, not that often. So 10 minutes a day, four minutes, two minutes, pretty much just when we preach in Advent. Um, you know, I mean, there's, right, there's, there, we, we aren't actively looking and anticipating Christ's return. And I mean, in, in a sense, there's no, there's no wonder why, right? It's been, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's been nearly 2,000 years, right? Nearly 2,000 years since uh, Christ was last with us in fullness, 2,000 years of going from seeming crises to crisis with no end in sight. As Father Rodriguez has mentioned, you know, our perfect utopian world isn't here, and we still don't have the hoverboards or jet cars that we were promised at this point, and I'm starting to think that my doctor lied to me when he said we were this close to finding a cure for male pattern baldness. So, I'm, I'm getting a little despondent. Um, but with, with no real expectation that Christ will come, right, with no daily expectation that Christ will return, is it any wonder that many of us have neglected our preparation for that coming? Is it any wonder that we've neglected this call of preparation that's given to us in Scripture to prepare our hearts for Christ's return? Well, the Israelites in our passage were in a similar position. They had just been freed from Babylonian captivity. They were brought into their homeland, and there were all these grand promises of splendor and majesty. The second temple was supposed to be bigger than the first. But these promises were slow in coming. They weren't being made manifest yet. And so, if you look a verse earlier, their question is, where is the God of justice? Where is God? Well, His message to them is the same message that it is to us. His response is, I am coming, so prepare yourselves. I spent a little bit of time this week trying to think of a good illustration about where we find ourselves in, in this time of anticipation and preparation for God. And the only illustration I could come up with is a little bit demeaning, so you'll have to bear with me on this one. But does anybody have a furry, lovable little animal in the house? Um, perhaps an overly attentive or overly anxious puppy? We do. Um, and uh, he's a real treat. And what happens is every morning, right, he's so close and bonds so uh, closely to me that I leave for work, and he sees me, you know, getting my work clothes on, and he flips out, and he runs around the house, and he begs me not to go. And then I leave, and he waits attentively at the doormat, you know, he should come back any minute, I'll wait for him, he's on his way. And then very quickly, because I'm never coming home, because it's been an eternity, right, he'll go crawl somewhere he's not supposed to be like the couch, and he'll be utterly depressed and completely despondent and give up entirely, right? His life has no meaning for that eight hours during the day. And then I show back up, and what does he do? He, you know, you, you were never coming home. I can't believe you're here. I thought you left me, right? It's that same sort of excitement that he runs up to us with. And so, we know from Scripture that to God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And so, I think that you and I can do a little bit better than Tucker, right, as we anticipate God's return, as we wait for Him to come. Time doesn't pass the same way for Him that it does for us. And let's also consider this. God has fulfilled every single promise that He has made to us so far. Every prophecy, every promise that He's given us in Scripture, He has fulfilled. 
Why in the world would we doubt that He would fulfill this last promise to us? And so, let's engage in this. Let's live in this work of expectation and preparation. Let's, let's partake in this work of preparation. And so, let's move on to our second point. What is this work of preparation? When I keep saying the word preparation, what am I asking us to do? How do we create that kind of, you know, runway of expecting God to come in and land? What, what is the work that we have to do within ourselves? Well, what was John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance is one of those church words that you can kind of skip over, right? You, you kind of know what it means, but you haven't really given it a lot of thought. Um, and so I'm going to give you a shorthand way of explaining it, and then we're going to go through it briefly together. Repentance, right, we kind of think of that as, okay, well, I acknowledge my shortcomings, you know, I, I, I ask for forgiveness, and then I commit to change for the better. You all follow me so far? That's, that's kind of the way that we think of repentance shorthand. But, and it sounds really simple. You know, dear God, I did this. I'm sorry. Let's move on with my day. But, but true repentance, real repentance is work. It's painful and it's difficult. It sounds simple until you actually begin to engage in it. And so I'm going to use a silly, silly lesson, a silly object lesson. I want to, uh, to explain exactly how hard repentance is. We're going to walk through it together, okay? I'm going to make, I'm going to use fake names because I keep calling out people in the congregation and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to use fake names here. Um, Here's the scenario, right? And this is going to be us walking through the act of repentance together. Fred tells me a really embarrassing secret, okay? He comes to me, he confides in me. It's something really embarrassing. I can't believe you told me that, Fred. And what I do, this is my sin that I'm going to have to repent of, is then I go to Joe and I say, hey, Joe, guess what Fred said? You wouldn't believe it. Isn't that embarrassing and humiliating? And then, right, so that's my sin. You all follow me so far on the same page? I go home. I start to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I think, wow, I really need to repent of my sin. All right? So that's how we start. Now, here's what repentance looks like. One, I have to address everybody involved. That means I have to go to Joe, and I say, Joe, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said what I said. Then I have to go to Fred. It's Fred. You all see how hard repentance We're on step one, everybody. See how hard repentance is so far? Fred, you know? I betrayed your trust, and I told your secret. That's step one. Then I have to take full ownership. I can't say if, but, or maybe. You ever receive an apology where somebody says, yeah, but if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that? Is that a good apology? Is that repentance? Do you all like receiving those? Well, if you hadn't said that, it's like, no, that's not taking ownership. You have to take ownership of your sin. You have to be specific about what you, you have to be specific and admit it specifically. This is step three, right? So you don't just say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Is that a good apology? Do you guys like receiving that one? Yeah, okay, but you're just sorry about that. That's not a good apology. You be, you be, you're specific about what you admit. You acknowledge the hurt. You say, you know what? I'm genuinely sorry, and I have remorse for this. How are we doing so far, by the way, in repentance? Y'all pretty easy? No, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a process. It's, it's a refining fire. Then you accept the consequences. In my silly example, guess what? I've lost Fred's trust for good reason, right? And Joe thinks I'm too uptight, right? Joe's like, it's not a big deal, right? So, so that's two friendships that have been marred. You guys getting the idea yet? Repentance is tough. And we're not even done yet. You, thought, yeah, you guys thought I was done. Then I alter my behavior. I do not willingly do it again. 
And lastly, I ask for forgiveness. And this can be the hardest part, right? It's really easy to apologize, but when you get to the end of your apology and you say, will you forgive me? And there's that silence. That's so hard because you're putting, you're putting yourself really in somebody else's mercy at that point. Repentance is a really difficult thing. It is not easy. In fact, it's a painful and difficult process to own and take personal responsibility for our shortcomings. It is much easier to blame someone else or to deny our problems altogether. Would you all agree with that? Can I get an amen? That's pretty good for Episcopalians. Um, But as we draw closer to God, and here's what I want you guys to hear. As we draw closer to God, and He draws closer to us, as we feel God at work in us, as we submit ourselves to God, as we become closer together, the more we encounter His holiness the more we are convicted of our own sin, and the more willing and able we are to confront, confess, and repent of our sins. The closer we are to God, the more we feel, the more we grieve for our sin, and the more strengthened and confident we are to engage in the work of repentance. That was verse 1. Don't worry, we'll go quick. So, verse 2, but who can endure the day of His coming, and who can stand when He appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Now, I'm assuming that there's not too many metal workers or blacksmiths in this room. So, I'm going to explain this to you briefly. A refiner's fire was an ancient way of purifying precious metals. What you would do is you would put it in a crucible, you would heat it up, and all of the impurities that weren't the gold or silver, all of the dross would rise to the surface, right? And then what the, what the, refiner, of, what the refiner fire would do is that what they, they would take… Um, all of those impurities out, and then what you were left with was a more pure, precious metal. You all follow me so far? A shorthand way of saying this is, uh, you know, when the heat is up, everything that is not of God in you will rise to the surface. Would you all agree with that? And so, when we see these deficiencies, when we see these impurities, it's incumbent upon us to invite God into the process of removing those impurities from ourselves. And it's a difficult and it's a painful process, and it's one that you and I cannot engage in uh, by ourselves, but it is one that we need to engage in. I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. The fact that I've gotten this many, serv- uh, this many sermons without mentioning him is a miracle. But in one of, his, one of his books, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and it's in this fanciful land card called Narnia. And in this land of Narnia, Aslan is uh, a lion, and he is the representative of Jesus. You all follow me so far? So we're in a fanciful world. Jesus is represented by this lion named Aslan. Well, in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this little boy named Eustace, and Eustace is a brat, right? He is a problem child. He is selfish and greedy. Well, they go to this island in this fanciful book. He puts on a gold bracelet, and he lays on top of this pile of gold, and that's his sin, right? It's greed. It's, it's self-absorption. When he wakes up the next day, he's become a dragon. And for a little boy, you might think, well, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, I, little boys want to be dragons, but what's he fi- what he finds out is he can't speak to his friends anymore. He can't get back on the ship with them. He's entirely and completely isolated by his sin. He is utterly alone. And it's not very long before he gets desperate. He doesn't want to be a dragon anymore. He wants to be a little boy with his friends. And so he lands, and he's weeping these giant dragon tears, and he's trying to use his dragon claws to tear off 
the scales that have grown up around him, right? The sin that has grown up around him and covered him and defiled him. And he can't do it because he, his claws don't dig deep enough. Every time he scratches, more scales take that spot. And so that's when Aslan appears. And Aslan asks him, you know, would, would you like me to remove this from you? And Eustace says, yes, please, absolutely. And Aslan says, it's going to hurt. Removing this from you is going to be painful. Like, you're, you're not going deep enough. My claws will cut you deep. They'll cut you to the quick. And Eustace says, yes, anything. And so Aslan reaches out, and he claws Eustace to the core, and he rips at the dragon skin. And Eustace cries out in pain because repentance, because removing your sin is difficult. It's a painful process. But Aslan continues to go, and after the dragon skin is removed, Eustace is left a little more fragile, a little more frail, a little more vulnerable than he was even before, because he's had some hard work of refining fire done on him. But that's when Aslan takes him and holds on to him and helps him get back his strength. You all see where I'm going with this? Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Verse 2 just highlighted the painful process of repentance, the unpleasantness of confronting our shortcomings and repenting. But these final verses speak of God as the one who is the artisan, and he is skilled and he is attentive in his work on us. There's a great quote that's attributed to Michelangelo. When someone asked him how he sculpted that beautiful marble statue of David, and they said, you know, how did you, how did you, how did you create this work out of marble? He's reported to have said, I just looked inside the marble and took away the bits that weren't David. Well, that's the way that God works on us. You see, you don't add good works to cover up evil. You invite God as a skilled artisan to purify and remove your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And as we heard in our epistle this morning, you trust that the divine artisan who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would Give us the courage and confidence to face our own shortcomings, our own sin. God, I pray that you would remind us that you care for us as if we are precious metals and that you are the one who is the divine artist and skilled at your work. God, help us to invite you into the process of refining and of repentance. Let us trust that you will be the one that will present us as holy and blameless to yourself in the day of Christ Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.